Well, Dick, here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine right, jet flying, son of a gun. Welcome into the Victory Bells podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? Hey, guys. Oh, big golfs, huh? All right. On Red Raider Sports Radio. Well, see you later. And now, here's Will. Great cash, homie. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the latest edition of the Victory Bells podcast. Brought to you right here in the Hypnotic Donuts studio. And uh, Matt, I tell you, buddy, it's uh, it's holiday season. Everybody getting out the uh, the stretchy pants a little bit more often, and uh, bellying up to the table a little more often than you're not. So you know what? You know you know where you can stop by and get something that uh, will will surely delight you this holiday season. You don't know where that is. Uh, I think it's hypnotic donuts. I, I think it is hypnotic donuts. Yes, you know if you want anything sweet, sugary. You want the you want the donut? You want the fancy donut? You want the biscuit? You want the chicken biscuit? You want basically everything that your heart desires, but is but you know maybe not the, the greatest thing in the world for you. But things, all things that I love, and things that uh, our boys at Hypnotic Donuts do better than everybody else. So I think you should stop on by if you're in DFW. Wouldn't you agree? I did last weekend, and uh, oh, yeah, I, don't, I forgot I don't, about that. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, was it the Denton location? Pretty cool spot. Um, but I, I don't know if it's ingredients or just the, 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 the way that they do what they do, but it, it tasted fresh. It was uh, really good stuff. Had probably one of each donut, uh, between myself and the rest of the family, uh, went and picked those up and, and took them home and everybody really enjoyed it. I've had the Amy's chicken biscuit while we waited and, and shared that, uh, before we went back to the house. That was really good. Uh, my kids had some donut holes and, Hung out on the couches there, and and we uh, played a little I Spy. It was a it was a good little time. Nice nice place. There you go. So uh, you you got your 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 pre Thanksgiving load up, huh? Mm-hmm. Or, was it pre or post Thanksgiving that you got? Your, it was. Your you know, it was, I don't know if either one's going to sound better, but it was post. <laughs> and uh, I think once everybody was done with breakfast and coffee around ten thirty, we were kind of like, what what did we just do? But uh, it is okay. It's a lot of like you said, a lot of. A lot of lazing around, a lot of a lot of just sitting around and eating. So that's what it's all about. Well, I did that for you know basically five days last week. So uh, so there it is. <laughs> uh, speaking of the holiday season, Matt, uh, you know last weekend Red Raiders on on the day after Thanksgiving wrapped up their regular season with a win that I mean I don't think I was expecting, don't think you were expecting, and really anybody else was expecting. I mean, for example. At halftime, because because you know, just for a little for full disclosure, I was I was home for the holidays, didn't get to make it out for the game. Uh, but halftime, my dad stands up and he goes, "All right, we're gonna call this and go to bed." Because it was like ten thirty or ten fifteen, and I was like, "All right, cool, can't blame you." And uh, to his surprise, he ended up winning that one twenty seven to. That's his surprise and many other people's surprise. Uh, end up winning that one twenty seven twenty three. So, yeah, I guess. What were I guess your kind of thoughts watching the game after the game? Just, just I mean, what what'd you think about it? I mean, I I don't think I would go so far as to say like surprising. I mean, maybe if you put it like that, with you know how the team had performed and everything that had kind of mounted or built up to that particular game. But um, you know, Texas wasn't really a great team this season, and they're six and six as well. They have their bruises, their bumps, their flaws. And, um, you know, traditionally it's not a huge home field advantage at DKR, but um, I think the one thing that Tech fans got from this game that they hadn't seen all season was some resolve and just uh, players making plays kind of when it counted most, right? I mean, I hate to say that about the team, but um, for a while there you had these incredible first halves and then you had these second halves that were just left you scratching your head just from a production and an execution standpoint. And so, um, I, I mean, I thought... For everyone kind of making judgments about McLean Carter, I would urge you to go watch when Mahomes filled in for Webb. Uh, it, it did not look pretty. Um, you saw some flashes. And, and, you know, in terms of arm strength, a lot of that had to do with footwork and, and where he was trying to put the ball and, and what Texas was trying to get him to do with some of those looks on defense. But, uh, 
yeah, I mean, that's not chopped liver on the other side of the ball either. A lot of those defenders are going to declare for the NFL or they're, you're going to see them playing on Sunday, someday. Um, so anyway, hats off to the team. Um, I think that was positive. I think the elephant in the room was the fact that, I mean, nobody really cared about who started at quarterback or, you know, what what this win, you know, or loss would mean for, for Tech. Everybody had kind of assumed, okay, you lose this and uh, the, the admin's going to fire Kingsbury – uh, we'll get an announcement, and you, me, Level, Aaron, the rest of the crew. I mean, we're preparing ourselves for, you know, what we do in our industry is covering a coaching search, figuring out what's next. And you know, I got to be honest with you. After a win and going six and six, I didn't think it was necessarily a done deal. But I do commend, you know, Kirby Hillcup for coming out and and making the statement because as we're going to get into it and kind of roll up our sleeves on on what early signing day is, what it means, what it doesn't mean. Uh, I think that we saw some immediate return on just that announcement that Cliff will be back. And, um, you know, let's let's be honest, losing season or not, everyone loves to beat Texas. And when you're, you know, with your family, like you said, and you're all watching the game on, on primetime Fox, right. I mean, it's fun. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that that played well. And to me, you know, without telling a, a long story or giving a big opinion, I kind of I, I see all points of view. Right. That's the you know, what people need to understand is once you cover the team or you kind of step into this, you know, media platform, if you will, you, you kind of see things for what they are and you see things a little differently. I'll say with all sincerity that I can see everyone's side. I can see yeah. why, you know, someone would want Kingsbury gone. I could see why somebody would want to keep him and see what happens. I mean, I, there's, there's a lot of different angles to look at that at. So I respect all of them, but I think when when me personally, when I look at the landscape of what's going on now with this coaching carousel as, as something else we're going to get into and throw some opinions out on, it's not easy to hire a head coach these days. And, and Yeah, and, and you look back at when they hired Kingsbury, and a lot of people say, oh, in hindsight, we should have gone with Morris. So, I mean, it just shows you how 50-50 it can be sometimes. And I even I wasn't online in those days, but I hear stories about how Rich Rod was offered the job before Leach and so on and so forth. And right. so you really never know. Um, and, and, you know, I can, I keep saying we'll get to it, but I just want to throw that out there because, um, I think that this is going to be the best case scenario moving forward. And, and I think, you know, we kind of knew it going into the season and, and you and I have talked about it on the podcast over the past two or three weeks that, okay, you got to win this game. You got to do this. You got to do that. Or else, you know, the coaches are gone. And if the coaches are gone, what does it mean for this, that, and the other? And I think, you know, starting over is, is exciting, but then once it's done, you know, people kind of the reality sets in that, OK, we've got a completely new staff. We don't know what to expect. And uh, I think, you know, too often than not, we we're giving coaches, I say we as college football fans and sports fans in general, you know, three to four years seems to be the max. And it's kind of a put up or a shut up thing. And so I think that I, I like to see the the consistency and the longevity and i just think more so than ever going into next year these guys are going to know what the deal is they're going to know that you know there's no more excuses six and six isn't you know anything to really celebrate about you know we want to we want to progress the program we want to see some progress here with the roster and the results and so i think all of that's a fair shake and you look at the dollars involved and really you know who else were they going to get um, to me, I, I think it's okay to punt and, and to go to your bowl game, get the extra practice, and continue to, you know, churn and improve the roster. Yeah, I guess, you know, you riffed on a lot there, and I'll, I'll just kind of do the same here, where I think looking back on the game itself and, and talking about Texas, I, I agree they weren't a great team this year, but the thing that really worried me about that game was just the fact that all year long against the really good defenses you played, so specifically against Iowa State and TCU, you, you scored a grand total of 16 points against those two defenses who, in my opinion, TCU's a little bit better than Texas, but Texas still had, I mean, Holden Hill or not, still has a really good defense uh, and I think a lot of pieces on that defense that are going to play in the NFL for a while. So I, I think that just worried me a lot, especially playing in Austin. Uh, you would never won there back-to-back times in your program's history. And you'd only won there before this year. You'd only won there once in the last 20 years. So it had always been kind of a matter of, it didn't really matter what the opposing team was. I think it just has always been a daunting task to win down there for this program for whatever reason. But as for the game itself, I thought that uh, 
your defense played really, really well, as well as they have all year. I, I thought that down the stretch, the defense just kept getting better and better and better, and I think you saw their best game of the season in their last game of the season against that Texas offense, who I thought that the week before against West Virginia had looked really good at times. So uh, I, I thought that was a, a, a big step forward. I thought that uh, offensively, I mean, you got to give your hat off to Nick Shimanek for coming in late there, and I think playing, you know, maybe his best couple of drives that he'd played in you know, seven or eight weeks, and, and, and you score two touchdowns in the red zone there at the end, which has been a big problem for you. So there was a lot of things that you overcame in that game that I thought that was really positive, things that you have not done this season and things you haven't really done very often under Coach Kingsbury. So, uh, I, mean, I mean, you basically won a game because of your defense and, and not really because of your offense, which just has rarely, rarely happened. So I, I thought that was all all great and uh, good to get to 6-6, six and six, get to go bowling. And then, uh, obviously, you know, it's something that, you know, as far as the decision about Cliff, it seems to me that, and from what, you know, Kirby Hokut said after the game and specifically said about, you know, you don't make these decisions based off of one game, that tells me that unless his hand was going to be forced, I think, if they lose that game, uh, I think he had already made up his mind that for the most part, I think he probably wanted to keep Cliff. And from what I'd heard last week, that kind of lined up with, you know, what ultimately ended up happening where, Based off what he sees in the day-to-day, behind the scenes in the program, and based off of uh, you know what he thinks of Cliff, and as, as a guy that sits down with you know Cliff very regularly to talk to him and pick his brain, and uh, I think he and Kirby have a really really good relationship, and I think that's where you see happen here is is you know you end up you know deciding to stay the course for another year, but again, uh, like you said, Matt, I can see both sides of the argument and. You know, I think you can count me in the camp that, you know, honestly, if they wouldn't have won that game, I thought it was time to move on and do something different. And you win that game, and I think it's it's up in the air after that, depending on what you want to do, uh, depending on what you think you've seen progress-wise or not. I definitely think this was a better team this year than the one you had in 2016. I think it's better than the 2014 team. I think the only team that was a lot better than this one was maybe that 2013 team was better as a whole. Uh, I don't think that 2015 team be- it was better as a whole than this one. I think you just had Pat Mahomes and Jakeem Grant on that team. So, and DeAndre Washington, obviously. But I, I guess all that to say, uh, I can see both sides of it, and I can certainly admire Kirby for uh, you know not letting anyone bully him into a decision he didn't want to make and making a decision that he solely made on his own, uh, regardless of what some others, you know, with some power, I think an athletic department would have liked for him to done. And, and not within the athletic department, but I think, uh, just some power brokers that are around tech football that, that, uh, maybe would have wanted a different decision made. I, I, I just think that, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's that something that he was willing to make that decision and, and, and live by it. And I think that's what moving forward, whenever you look at it, uh, it's a decision that he'll kind of live or die by, you know, moving forward. And it's the same with, with Kingsbury and the staff where, I think at this point, you're five years in, and because they decide to keep you around for another year, you're not going to have much leeway as far as margin for error or, uh, oh, well, just didn't play this well this week or anything. I, I think move, six and six moving forward just is going to be something that is just isn't going to fly, you know? Sure. I think, I think two things um, that I want to touch on there is that, I mean, a lot of this when tossed about concerning Kingsbury is that you know, Tech knew what they were getting into. They were kind of betting on his future and him kind of learning as he uh, was on the job, if you will, as a head coach. And I know that was a big storyline this past offseason about being involved with the defense and letting go of some of the reins even on the offensive side and uh, a lot of a lot of Q&As regarding that. I would say that, that the, the thing I would hope that he learned this season is that it's okay to tinker. Uh, a lot of the really yeah. good coaches across the, the country, um, even some of the best coaches, they'll yank their quarterback out of the game if they're not having a good day. Because guess what? In sports, sometimes you just don't have it. And I think that hopefully with the way the season ended, because I don't, I just don't buy into the notion that, that Carter or Duffy aren't playing because they're not better or good enough to play for this offense. I think that uh, that that Kingsbury is a very loyal guy, almost to a fault, and Nick's his guy, and and he had earned it, and this, that, and the other. But I mean, you look at some games this season where obviously he hadn't played his best, and I think uh, you know maybe this is me, you know, assuming a little, but I I truly feel like some other coaches would have pulled him out of the game and given another quarterback a shot. And I think what you saw was 
everybody praises Nick for being mature and uh, supporting Carter and doing all that. Well, I mean, it lit the fire under his ass that, that a lot of us were talking about, you know, hey, why don't you pull him? Why don't you put somebody else in there? Why don't you, you know, motivate him? Why don't you do something, you know, yada, yada, yada. And clearly, the, as the story goes, the way they pitched it, he walked over and said, Coach, I'm ready. Let's do this. He goes in there and throws two touchdowns in crunch time. And we just haven't – we haven't seen that all season. We have seen seven-point second halves. We've seen just uninspired offense from a program that, that traditionally, you know, plays very good offense. So, anyway, I mean, hopefully that's another, you know – learning on the co- on the on the fly type of thing for uh, for Cliff. But the other thing I was going to point out is is as we talk about all this and we dive into the coaching carousel, you know, we're giving Kirby some praise now, but you know, let's remember that Arkansas has an AD opening. Other programs have some openings. They've hired search firms. Um, at this point last year, we had the, uh, I'm going to forget his name, but the running backs coach who then went back to UCLA and then Kevin Patrick who ended up randomly going to NC State. So let's not Let's not forget that it's fun watching, but every time these coaching staffs are being put together, they're leaving behind a, a, a program who's then going to staff up. And I'm not suggesting that that Tech is or isn't going to lose any coaches, but that's something that we've got to keep in mind when we discuss the early signing period, when we just talk about the class or you know the, the staff moving forward in general. And I think that goes all the way up to the AD. I'm not trying to throw rumors out there. I'm just saying that, you know, clearly as head of the college football playoff committee and a guy that's been here for a long enough time to really kind of vet, you know, what he's done, you know, tech is going to have to hold on to, to all of the components that to, to truly have this consistency moving forward. Yeah. yeah. And I think that is what it is. Like you said, I think it's a matter of trying to keep this staff together. Uh, I think specifically on defense, I think that uh, you really liked all the progress you made there really at every level of the defense uh, specifically in the front seven. I think, your defensive line took a ginormous step forward. Uh, your linebackers obviously took a really big step forward. And I think some of that has to obviously do with talent at both those places, but I also think it has to do with the coaching they're getting. So uh, I, I think you're happy with that. Uh, really just your defensive play in general, you're just much happier with it. So you need to try to keep all of that group together at the very least. On offense uh, and special teams, I mean, I think you can ask yourself if – there's going to be some changes made if maybe some coaches are used, uh, you know, as kind of the sacrificial, you know, lambs at the altar there for, you know, some of your struggles there. So I, I think all that's on the table at this point. So uh, we'll see uh, what what happens here. But I think for the most part, you're going to try to keep all this together. And uh, we'll be curious to see if there what changes that, you know, Kingsbury makes to his approach and his style and uh, whatever he does as far as how he runs the program, because, it would not surprise me at all to see, you know, if he relinquishes his play calling duties and gives that to somebody else. It's also curious to see uh, what are you going to do with this 10th assistant now? And that's something that's a whole different conversation too. I mean, do you bring in a guy that you just want to be a recruiter? Do you bring in another position coach to, to divvy something up, maybe like the offensive line or the defensive line? Do you bring in a coordinator, like say like a coordinator on offense that you don't want to be a position coach and you just let him be a coordinator? There's just a million ways you can slice that too. I agree. I just think that, I mean, the 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 one way to look at that, right, is the the advantageous way and to say, wow, uh, the a the and staff is all without jobs for the moment. You know, do you look at a guy like a Terry Price on the defensive line that, right. that had a cup of coffee at Tech but is a tremendous, you know, kind of glue guy on the staff and, and a guy who is sharing D-line responsibilities at A&M, knows Texas, knows Louisiana, can, can recruit for you right away. Um, you know, I, I think of things like that. Um, but then I also think, um, you know, do you go the route of Texas high school football coach uh, do you hire someone that has a, a an administrative or recruiting background, um, or do you promote from within? I mean, it, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can look at that, um, or do you let Gibbs, you know, have somebody to help spav it all? Because you you got to look at it one of two ways. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Either you know Gibbs and Spavadol are going to get raises. We we can probably assume that. Uh, but at some point, you know, Spav is going to want to go off and, and do his own thing. I mean, his, his brother is doing that and has been as an offensive coordinator. I would imagine that his career goals include, you know, being a defensive coordinator at some point. So uh, I know he's really good with the linebackers. I know, you know, he's had a, a recruiting coordinator uh, role in, in his 
prior life. And, and like I said, I mean, you have to just keep your head up because a lot of these openings are, you know, for example, Dan Mullen's going to fill out his staff at Florida. You've got a potential, you know, move of, of coaches going to Tennessee. And then you just have to look at who's hired at Mississippi State, who's hired at Arkansas, who do they fill out their staffs with, what are their connections. A lot of that is unknown at this point. And that's why I think, you know, all this happening right now before the early signing period, um, when you really think of some of that stuff, that's why I'm a big advocate of, of I'm, I want to scream it through the microphone to people listening and that follow recruiting. 90% of the kids that I talk to about the early signing period say, no, I'm not doing that. And then on top of that, aren't even really aware of what it what it means. And And to be clear, I'm even I'm trying to learn a little bit more and read the bylaws of what it means, because if you sign in December, can you still take your official visit in January? Right. Based on what I've read, I tend to say no. And you look at what tech and many other programs do every January. They have the entire recruiting class in for one weekend. And so you look at you look at all of that. You kind of look at the the priorities. Obviously, they're going to host some JUCO guys this weekend. Uh, They've landed some other high school commits The the class is taking shape. Um, we have a good idea of what they're after at this point and, and we'll get into that. But I just, I would say all of that has to mean something. If I'm a kid and I've, I've waited and I've made all these decisions, unless I'm just, unless my parents went to tech or you're a Jack Anderson where just tech is where you want to be sure, go ahead and sign early. But if I'm, you know, one of these other commits who's maybe visited once in the summer and yes, you're committed, I don't think that should be a scarlet letter. If you don't sign in December, I think, you know, with this being such a brand new thing, I don't I think that, yeah, to a degree you can judge that. But at some point in time, you have to say, well, you know, every every situation is different and every kid is different. You look at um, everybody wants to know what's going on. It's it's funny because it's a two way street, right? Everybody wants to know what's going on with Hanspard and Cam Jones. Hanspard is a Arkansas commit. You know, believe was fired. You know, obviously he's evaluating his options. Same thing with Cam Jones. Basically, the Cam Jones, if his uh, if his cornerbacks or, or DB's coach is kept on staff with Chip Kelly, well, he's going to stay with UCLA. Otherwise, yeah. you know, he's going to reevaluate his, opp- uh, his opportunities. You look at that, though, and, and the reason I bring it up is let's say for some reason uh, the coach that gets hired at Tennessee calls Carl Scott and says, hey, I, I used to work with you or I've been watching from afar. I want you to be my DB's coach. Well, I mean, I'm not saying he would take it or I don't know what the money would be, but let's assume in pretend world that he goes to coach at Tennessee. Well, I mean, you're going to lose contact with some of those guys. Some of those relationships are going to go away. You can say the same about Jamison, Jaluk, any of these guys, right? So I think that when you look at it that way, um, there's a lot to to be said for what could potentially happen down the line. And that's why I'm, an, I'm not an advocate of an early signing period unless you're just dead set on going to that college and and or you're graduating early i mean otherwise there is no benefit to the player other than holding a spot and at that point as a fan okay well if if your coaches truly feel that way then then obviously they have a backup option so that's just something that we'll have to evaluate this time next year because it's brand new it's the great unknown and that's the thing too i mean you, you make a lot of valid points there matt obviously um the interesting thing though to me too is um is I mean, does this eventually become a thing where is it like basketball signing day? Where I mean, they have an early signing period, and that's just become kind of the, the the norm in that sport. Where if you're done with your recruiting process, you know, by you know early you know mid to late November, then you just go ahead and wrap it up, even if you aren't going to play at that school until you know next June, and that's just part of it. Will it be that way in football, or will it be one of those things like you said, where it's basically only reserved for guys that either one you know, feel like, you know, their st- the staff that, that's going to be there is going to be there, and two, uh, they know they want to play at that school, maybe even no matter what the staff is. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it. I, I just don't know. It's hard to make a, like, a judgment. I, I completely understand the comparison. It's just hard to really make a one-to-one comparison. With, right, yeah, 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 yeah. If you look at the early signing period, it's basically like, the early signing period, if you were to equate that to the beginning of the season in college football, would be like in August or September, whereas the early signing period for college football is basically before Christmas so you can enjoy yourself and not worry about 
in-home visits or other schools recruiting you. That's the only other advantage I can think. And after these kids go through all that they do with rivals and all of our competitors and all the other independent blogs out there, coaches calling them, yada, yada, yada. I mean, I just don't see that being such a win for them that, that an enormous amount of kids do it. And every year, my favorite part about covering recruiting are the fact that the coaches hit the road. They do in-home visits, the coaching carousel, you know, things change here. Uh, targets are either dropped or new targets emerge. Kids develop late, right? Other kids decommit and, and flip to other programs. I mean, this is why we follow recruiting. So to, to do a one-on-one to that, I think is just so, so hard um, because otherwise, you know, you look at, okay, well, or you can sign later, you know, right after the season ends and you know some of this stuff. So it's, it's just hard to make that comparison. And I, I mean, I'm not going to beat a dead horse. That's, that's my opinion on it. And I think all I'm trying to say by that for anyone who's listening or anyone who cares, and I'll continue to say this, is that for year one, I think we're overestimating the impact that it has on kids. Now, it's clearly impacting the coaching carousel and how programs are um, deciding to make their moves. I get that part. But I just I do not think unless you've got some killer closer salesman coaches out there that you're going to see just a vast majority of kids signing early. The only one you and I talked for the podcast, the only one we've seen from tech declare that publicly has been Corey Fulcher. And so we'll start to talk to more of the commits after their in-home visits, but every kid's going to have their reason. And I just can bet you dollars to hypnotic donuts that it's not just some ironclad concrete reason. It's, Hey, I'm, I'm going to tech either way. I don't care if I sign December or February. And for a guy like uh, Brumfield, People may not like hearing that he's uh, signing in February, but again, it goes back to two things. One, if you sign in December, can you still take an official in January? We need an answer to that. Two, um, you know, can you blame a guy like that when you've got new coaches, you know, across the country and potentially other openings that are coming up? Like, you don't know what's coming, and, and until a couple of days ago, you didn't even know what was going on with Kingsbury. So it's really hard to say after 48 hours that these kids should have, you know, said you know, one thing over another, I feel like we hold their answers and their expectations to various levels than even when we do with some of these college coaches, because I'll go back and just remind folks that the, the running back coach left for UCLA and the D line coach left for NC state, all those happen at the drop of a dime. So, you know, expect anything and everything. Yeah. And I, I think that's the, that, that's, that's the, probably the biggest one. Like you said, the biggest reason why, or the biggest two reasons why as a prospect you wouldn't want to sign is, one, I think you want to see, you know, what happens with the staff and, and just make sure that the guy that you signed up to come play for is still going to be there come, you know, come come February 1st at, at the very least, if not hopefully after that. And then, two, you know, like you said, if you haven't taken an official visit and maybe you just want to take some other visits just to make sure, uh, you know, that you made the right choice, I understand all that, you know, as a prospect, but... I will say too. I'm just curious if you're going to see some. I would guess that you're going to see some of these guys where, both with prospects and with coaches, you're going to see some hands get shown. You know that you didn't before, where a coaching staff may have a kid say, "Hey, I'm ready to sign," and a coaching staff may say, "Hey, buddy, why don't you go ahead and wait till uh, February to sign." Obviously, that means, you know, a coaching staff has kind of shown their hand that they don't know if they want to sign this prospect. And then the opposite of it is uh, a prospect, you know, the staff may say, hey, man, are you going to sign uh, early with us? And if they say, uh, no, you know, I'm not interested in all these other schools, then even if they don't say that, I think it, it kind of shows your hand. So I, I guess maybe that's the one good thing about it is, is there can't be kind of a lot of there's not going to be a lot of BS anymore. You know what I'm saying? Sure. No, I'm, I, I like it for a variety of reasons. And I think maybe the conversations that we'll have next year will be, you know, 100 percent different. Right. Because uh, we have no idea. Yeah. 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 But well, and let's 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 look at it in a, in a tech vacuum. Right. If if uh, and these are all ifs. Right. We're in the imaginary land here. Let's say next year Cliff's eight and four. We're not going to be talking about you know, where he's going or where other assistants are going, you know, yeah, inherently guys might have other opportunities and, and anything can happen at any time. All that will be consistent about December and January in college football. However, you know, up, I, I just can't stress enough up until 
Saturday or Friday night, whenever Kirby, you know, addressed Cliff's situation and said he'll be back next season. You know, I just posted a story on Myler Royals and his commitment yesterday, and he knew that after his TCU visit, he wanted to commit to Tech, but he waited uh, because he didn't know exactly what was going to happen. You cannot blame kids for that, and it doesn't matter if it's Tech, Mississippi State. Um, uh, even Alabama, you can't, you know, if, if Alabama's defensive coordinator takes the job at Mississippi State, you don't think he's going to take two or three kids with him? I mean, it's all relative. This is it's all uh, relationship based, and and you know these kids are making a decision that's going to last a lifetime. And I know these days with decommits and transfers, maybe none of this matters, or some of it falls on deaf ears. But I'm just trying to quantify how much should we care about the early signing period. I mean, I think you make a great point. Um, but, but I also don't think that, um, from a recruiting reporting standpoint that, that while we get some good information, I don't think we're ever going to like rush to spit out the headline of, Hey, so-and-so told that he can't sign until February. Um, I just, I don't think we're going to hear that, you know, like we may, you may see kids traditionally decommit quote unquote, that were told to look elsewhere, or they may strip, uh, tech, uh, of, 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 their their social media profile and all of that those things happen they'll continue to happen i think that's how they'll continue to happen versus well i was wanting to sign in december and coach told me i couldn't you know what i mean like it's i don't know i don't, I don't no. see it happening that way no I, I and like you said man I, I just don't know what to think about uh about where it's where it's going to go from here you know I, it, it's one of those things where until it happens, I just don't think we're going to have a good idea for, for the feel of it. And we may not even for the next two years. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't know really what to think about it other than you'll see some guys sign early, I think, that are just like, hey, I know what I want to do no matter what. I'm good to go. And everybody says on board, just, okay, great. Let's all sign and let's get it over with. But then, too, you're going to see guys, you know, wait. And it may not be for some, you know, major reason. It may just be for hey I just want to you know make sure and and I just want to make sure that everything's good instead of with some guys it certainly will be I think that some guys whether they say it or not they're saying hey I'm just waiting around for a different offer so it's it's I guess just the the and mind games isn't the right word because it's not mind games but just kind of the play on this that we get the first round will be the most intriguing thing to me yeah I mean I I'd agree with that 100%. And the last thing I'll say on it is, you know, really, as you said all of that out loud, it reminded me of my conversation uh, earlier with Christian Morgan, who's the three-star defensive back that's committed to Baylor. But um, as we've reported, you know, from the beginning, Coach Scott is his, you know, uncle via marriage. Um, So the, the conversation, so for example, I guess what I was getting at earlier is when we, when we take this step from, following recruiting as a fan to actually reporting on recruiting for tech or, you know, really whatever school that I do it for, it just gives you that different perspective. And, you know, maybe that's a, a no S, you know, type of comment, but I'm, but the point I'm getting at is when you talk to these kids, um, you, you get a different perspective from everyone. He basically told me I'm fully committed to Baylor. My parents, however, you know, before we had our in-home visit, they just wanted me to be sure they want what's best for me. And if I don't go and visit some of these programs, specifically a program where I have family at on the coaching staff, you know, then I would just never know. And he said, I've never been to Lubbock. So if I do take an official visit, my first choice would probably be to go and see coach Scott and and visit Lubbock and learn more about the opportunity at tech. But even then, you know, it's going to take a lot for them to, to change my mind on Baylor. You know, I respect all that. That's a kid that's graduating early. Um, but it just goes to show you tech is going to try to flip other recruits. Other schools are talking to your recruits or battling you for some of these last minute targets. So yeah. a lot of different things are being thrown out there. But the one thing that gives them that kind of power up is that Kirby Hillcutt came out and said that they're back next year. Now, another coaching staff can say that oh, well, they're still a lame duck coach, this, that, and the other. But, you know, I think a lot of people have already started doing it on our board. If they can figure out the offense, then you've got your entire offensive line coming back, really everything on defense save one starter. So you can really make some noise and have some continuity there. Um, and, and you know, I know you're on record saying it could be one of the best seasons that, that Kingsbury's had. So yeah. I think there's a lot to look forward to, and that's what should be the focus point. Not if some kid decides to sign in February versus December. That's 
maybe we talked about that into the dirt, but I just I had yeah. to stress that you know as we talk about it today because it's it, it it almost means nothing in the grand scheme of things because a month is going to fly by like that. And I would say the the major thing we need to do when we finish the podcast is get some clarity on that rule. If you sign in December, can you still take that official in January? If you can't, then why the hell would any recruit do that? You know, because it's not just tech; it's any other program. They usually all take a visit together. Yeah. In January, they always have. Ever since Kingsbury's on board, even previous coaches, it's not some new thing. No, it's not at all. Uh, and it's something personally that I like. Uh, I, I like that they try to set that up where all your, uh, you, you know, you just basically try to get the whole band together, kind of a deal. And, and I'm a fan of that. So, yeah, it'll. It's a. Uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where I think it's just going to be an interesting two months here as we get into the closing of this class overall uh, because you've got a couple spots left, you got a couple guys enrolling early, uh, you don't know who you're going to sign early or not, and then once you, those cards kind of get laid there uh, between December 20th and 22nd, you're really going to have, have a picture of what you're going to do here down the stretch. So, I mean, I guess that's, that's kind of the next thing we can jump into here, Matt, uh, that I really wanted to, to get dive into is, is first, let, let's kind of briefly... Uh, if you would, just kind of uh, riff on these two new receiver commits that we got in uh, Myler Royals from Abilene Cooper, who's a big, lengthy, long outside receiver you added uh, on, uh, on on Friday. And then on Saturday, you add Eric Azaconma from, from Timber Creek, who's a Fort Worth you know, four-star receiver that, that Tech's been in on for quite some time. Uh, both those guys, outside receiver targets, Matt, uh, a little bit different skill sets. Uh, but both of them outside receivers, and I think something that you needed to add some depth there for the future, and I think you got two good ones there. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, you you look at that, I mean, a lot of people keep seeing receiver, 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 but Isakan was a kid that, that we've been tracking for a while, and, um, you know, a lot of the feedback after his commitment was that they had gotten one of the top playmakers in the state. I talked to his head coach earlier today, Coach Kevin Goldman, and uh, he, he said that, uh, he's one of the most explosive players he's ever coached, and and they their whole mission is to just get him the ball uh, in space, and he can just make things happen. And so when you look at this offense, and you look at what they try to do at Texas Tech, it's it's kind of interesting um, because that's the kind of guys they want. He's been a four star forever. He's had a ton of offers. I don't know. Uh, he's kind of a, a, a low key kind of quiet guy, and maybe that affected lot, his yeah. yeah maybe that affected his recruitment. But now that he's committed, I can kind of empty the bucket a little bit. I ran into him. He was visiting for the Arizona State game. He had a tech hat on. He had a tech sweater on. He was high-fiving the band. He was meeting a bunch of people. I thought, well, okay. I mean, because you go to some of these games, and you've done it too. You see some of these recruits. Some of them are just standing there, you know, doing this, that, and the other. Others are engaged, meeting people, you know, being outgoing. A lot of that has to do with their personality. But even after the game, when they won that game, he's on the field doing Snapchats and selfies with his family. And through through our own sources and back channels, I I said at the time, look, you guys got a lot of receivers committed right now. This kid seemed like he's enjoying himself. Is this a take right now? And at the time, we were told that that they weren't sure that they had the spots. I think I think ultimately what happened is they're they're holding out to see if Douglas could qualify, and they had already taken some other receivers before they knew you know maybe what they wanted to do or what their situation was because you got to remember. If you even go back further to when Giles and um, – help me out here. Giles and who else left? Um, uh, Tony Brown. Tony Brown. You, you lose two guys there, and then now you kind of look at – you're losing five total receivers with four being starters as seniors. It makes all the sense in the world for them to reload. Um, you look back at last season, they essentially didn't take any high school receivers because you had the one kid that came, got in trouble, and ended up at Utah. And so I, I think I'm all for them going after and getting these guys. So anyway, all that to say, I think Izukama can really grow and blossom into a player. And you look at everything I've read and talked to uh, about with, with Myler Royals and his coaches. I mean, he looks like Vasher 2.0 to me. Um, you've got a standout basketball player. You've got a standout track athlete and a guy that's just been putting up numbers. I actually talked to Bowman last night um, right before, um, excuse me, right before Maitland had gotten him. And his comment was, man, we played, 
you know, he's like, I'm, I'm excited about Eric. I've known him since seventh grade. We've played against each other. Um, we're going to try to get together here over the, over the next month and just th- have some throwing sessions together, right. uh, because we live close enough and, and we already knew one another. I thought that was cool. But then his comment was, well, let me tell you though, I was really excited to get Myler on board because I knew what Eric could do. And I knew he was thinking about tech, but we played Myler earlier in the season and we yeah, couldn't stop Cooper. him. Yeah. yeah. yeah and he said, and, and Cliff and Mo- Eric Morse were at that game. And he said, I know that, 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 uh, they saw what he could do, and we've been trying to get him ever since. So I know that you know maybe his offer list doesn't jump off the page, but I don't know when I keep going back to this. You know, I want kids to know these aren't the most outgoing guys. These aren't the guys that are on Twitter like, look at my thirteenth offer from so and so state or whatever, whatever. I mean, they kind of keep those things to themselves. And not only do I think is that something the coaching staff likes in a pros- in a prospect, but I think it also speaks to them knowing what they wanted and they took their time and they waited it out. I think both guys to a man would tell you once I knew Kingsbury would be back, that's where I knew I wanted to go. And so I think, you know, as much as criticism and as much blame as Kingsbury gets, I think you should also get some credit for fostering those relationships. And and I don't think they're done. I mean, I think you're going to see some other kids that that they've waited it out uh, with. And, um, you know, I don't know. That's my two cents on those guys, but I think both guys, could benefit from a uh, some some time in the locker, or excuse me, the weight room. Weight room yeah. uh, but you got Myler coming in early, and you got all those guys graduating. So if he can if he can kind of get into shape, and you know, it's always interesting when these three sport athletes come in and focus on one sport. You know how how quickly they can uh, can develop. But you know, you look at a guy like that, and and you're just kind of replenishing. That's what we talked about when we talked about his offer. I mean, six foot five, one eighty. You you don't you've got some guys that are like that, but not just a big row of depth of guys with that frame. And I think they've liked what they've gotten from Vasher. And you saw uh, Wesley. Did, I don't know, I, yeah, he got that catch. I don't think they let him have the touchdown, but you know oh, they rolled really short. Yeah, yeah, you saw him getting on the field. So you know it's a guy we've talked about as well, but it just gives them more uh, of that that longer that wiry frame, and, and hopefully they can put some pounds on him, and, and he can be a part of the offense. But really, really excited about Easy Canma. I mean, that's a guy that had a lot of offers for a reason. Had an explosive junior year, had an injury, came back, put up even more numbers uh, in the senior season with with the games that he played, and uh, I think you know maybe that contributed to the the slow play. But either way, they've got him on board. And uh, be interested to finally, you know, get in touch with him to get his thoughts on the commitment. Yeah, and and, and you know, you, you said a lot there, Matt, that uh, I won't won't retread on. But uh, you know, I, I guess both those guys at prospects. I'll just kind of give my opinion what I think of both of them. Uh, the first one with with, with Izakanma, uh, I, I think he's a guy that if physical, explosive. I think those are kind of the adjectives you use with him. Uh, not necessarily a burner, not a guy that's going to, I think, run past a, a bunch of guys at the next level that you're going to throw a bunch of go routes to. But I think he's 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 a guy that uh, gets is good off the line. Uh, he's physical in his route running. Uh, he just kind of has a knack for making plays in space, and he, he moves laterally real, real well. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Eric Ward, I would say, is kind of the comparison there. I think he's a little bit bigger than Ward was. Uh, but that, that, that's who he really reminds me of. Ward was also a, a four-star guy out of Wichita Falls out of high school, obviously. And uh, just an explosive guy that, that I think you can put some weight on and really try to make into kind of uh, a bully on the outside at receiver, a guy that I think you, you, you like his physicality and him winning some one-on-ones. But I think you also like uh, if you give him the ball in space, he can do some things with it and, and really get some extra yards after the catch. So, Again, that's what I would say. I would say Eric, Eric Ward's kind of the comparison that I would give you for him. Uh, for Royals, he's kind of an in-between of what you've got right now in Wesley and Vasher. I, I don't think he's quite the physical freak of nature that, that Vasher is, where he's like one of these you know basketball stars that's just going up and you know kind of doing some freakish things for his size as much. Uh, but I think that from what I've seen of him uh, with, with Royals, uh, he runs really, really good routes for a guy his age and a guy that size, which I think is really encouraging uh, this early on in his career. And on top of that, uh, he also plays pretty physical. Uh, he can run a little bit. So I would say he's kind of an in-between of Vasher and Wesley because Wesley was more the guy that was uh, had great body control, 
uh, wasn't a burner, but could could run good routes out of high school. And that's that's really what, what the thing again that sticks out to me about Royals out of high school is that for a guy his age, he runs really really good routes. And if he can keep doing that and get in the weight room, he'll see the field sooner than later. And I think both those guys uh, are guys that. Uh, whether it be depth or whatever, are going to see the field. But, again, the interesting thing to me, Matt, is is you keep adding all this size at outside receiver, and I think it tells you, you know, the direction I think they want to go uh, at that position because before, you know, two years ago, you were just kind of recruiting six foot, six foot one, those kind of guys on the outside. Hey, I'm all about it. I yeah. think that um, is is a very interesting year because you had most games you had – praise for the defense and 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 questions for the offense and we're not used to that around here um but when you did i mean everybody knows about kute and and we got a preview that coming into you know at the end of the last year coming into this season so i i think for me i expected him to to do what he's done this season just because he's that physically gifted and fast uh but you look at where most of the other you know i guess Comfort or comfortable or confident throws came for uh, came from Shimanick were to Cantrell and to Vasher, and Vasher really started coming on the second half of the season. So, I think it's so important to have those possession guys on the outside when you're going to have your burners and your cross routes and your your what have yous on the inside. Um, I think it just gives them more weapons and and more looks, and I'm all for it. I mean, you you can you can praise Cantrell, you can talk about how you're going to miss a senior. Uh, but I'm really excited to get, you know, shorts on the field more often. Um, really excited to see, you know, how they get some of these other guys into the mix. I know you've heard a lot about Xavier Castile. We saw him coming out of high school. I really um, liked him out of high school. Well, I think you and I saw him camp a couple times, or I did anyway a couple times with Camp Tech, and I really liked him. Yeah, and just, I mean, I guess, you know, not to just – to, to keep from rambling, all I'll say is in my head when I'm thinking about it driving around today when we were going to do a podcast, for me, it's gonna it's exciting to know that Cliff's coming back from the standpoint that you basically hit the reset button on offense. I mean, everybody knew they had an idea that, that Shimanek would be the guy and that he would take over uh, after, you know, everybody learned that, that Pat was leaving. But now you look at it and you've got Carter, Duffy, whoever transfer they try to get in on. Um, you know, that, that whole thing, that whole part of recruiting hasn't even started yet. Um, and then you look at, you know, a whole offensive linebacker. you got the prospects of a Brumfield eventually signing with tech and, and, and earning early playing time as a true freshman. You got the prospect of Ward coming back and, and having that in the mix. Um, and then you've got all these guys at receiver that we've talked about. I mean, I think there's so many fun storylines and, and interesting ways to look at what this team could be on offense that, that we just haven't had in a long time. So to me, if I'm looking at a glass half full, that's that's what I'm looking at. And and to me, adding guys that come in early like a, a Royals and a Galbon, I mean, those are guys that can legitimately insert themselves in the lineup somehow, some way. And and you look at guys that uh, like a Justice Parker and other guys that have been brought on late, I mean, you have plenty of examples of that in this wide receiver core from walk-ons to transfers to a number of things that, you know, guys that could just emerge next season. So I think it'll be a lot of fun to watch. And, and I think you made the comment earlier today or yesterday. I just don't worry about receiver at Tech. And to me, yeah, I, know, I, know I, that, I know that Kiki had an amazing season, but I would say it's far from a, a, a done deal that he leaves early. You know what I, I mean? Like I, yeah. I, I, would, I would lean towards, you know, wishing him the best of luck in all situations. But you look at Katie Cannon, I know he's a knucklehead, but there's not, I mean, there's not a premium that's put on slot receiver in the NFL unless you're some first round guy. And even then you look at some of those first rounders, they've, they've not hit the ground running in the league. And so I think a lot of folks look into those later rounds and even into their uh, preferred, uh, not preferred walk-ons, but their free agent signees. Um, and, and that's how a lot of the tech guys have gotten their run in the NFL as well. So I just, I don't see that you know being real advantageous for him but hey it'd be really good for tech if whoever does play quarterback could have him as a reliable option at receiver ne- uh, next year yeah and, and and like you pointed at to me it's one of those deals where as far as that receiver everyone last year made this big honking fit about how you couldn't replace jonathan giles what a gigantic loss that was what a huge loss that was well 
Kiki Kuti comes in and puts up better numbers than him, and it's like he, it didn't really matter. You know, and that's just kind of been what this offense always does is if you lose one receiver, somebody else is probably going to take his place, and it's been that way for 17 years, basically. You, you're, you're just not going to have poor receiver play as far as from your entire receiving core. Now, I mean, th- this year, I mean, did, did you not get what you expected out of Derek Willies? No, you did not at all, and I think that was super disappointing. But I think Dylan Cantrell was a really, really good second option for you, and I think T.J. Vasher came on late in the year as a, as a complimentary piece that made some big plays for you. So you, you, you've got enough talent at receiver as it is. Even, even if Kiki QT left, uh, you're going to have Xavier Castile next year. You bring back all the guys that you, are, you have. Uh, I would guess JoJo Robinson's going to take a bigger uh, chunk of the pie too as a guy that uh, didn't play much this year but should be in line to either start or be a primary backup for you next year who's a guy that has a lot of talent, I think. So you've got plenty of options here. Uh, It just depends on what you want to do. And on top of that, like we've said, you're going to add all these guys that you have in this class. And, and I mean, you basically might might as well count – uh, and depending on if he stays at receiver, is Xavier Martin, who I right, saw, you know, placement. I saw placement receiver, and I saw him do some really good things with the ball in his hand whenever he would get some throws thrown his way, so or some balls thrown his way. So, yeah, it, it's just a matter of as as long as you're running this system and you continue to recruit the guys you want, I, I just am never going to freak out about what you've got right. going on at receiver. I'd agree with that, and I think um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be lost for some names here. But you even have some walk-on types that you know came from heralded uh, Dalton, programs. Dalton Rigdon from Perryton's a guy that's gonna play for you next year that they're right. really excited about. Uh, Jake Lavere from uh, from Bel Air is a guy that plays on as a true freshman this year. So the Shelton kid from Saxy, right? Nate Shelton from Saxy. Saxy's another guy. So yeah. you've got a lot of guys and a lot of guys that I I would say, man, you really like these guys on your roster. So. Yeah, so I'm so about it. just to kind of put a pin on that, what I, I think that's a good idea. What we should do is maybe split up some position groups, and we'll just go back all the way to like 2015, and and kind of show you know where the receiver position is at, how it got there. Because I was doing that. I mean, for me, 2014 and 2015 were the first classes I ever covered as a recruiting analyst or a blogger or what whatever you want to call it. And so when I saw Chris Warren transferring from Texas. It kind of it was a, a, a crazy thing for me to see because I was like one of the first kids I ever interviewed. And so uh, just going back, I was just looking through his profile, trying to read some stories just to reminisce. And I looked at the Texas Top 100 from the 2015 class, and it's insane to look at. Um, I didn't want to just post a thread. I'm going to put some thought into it. But you, I've gotten like through the top 40 kids – and you've got kids that are declaring early for the draft as first-round picks behind some guys that just simply have never panned out at the college level. And it's interesting to me how that evaluation can take place from your senior season of high school. Really, nowadays, starts with your sophomore and junior season with as early as recruiting is tracked in terms of prospects and who's better and who the top guys are. You go back to that 2015 class, though. Not only is it interesting to look at the top 100 throughout the state of Texas, but it's interesting to look at the class from Texas Tech and to see, you know, what's on paper versus, you know, what's still there realistically. And I mean, to me, it's incredibly interesting and, and to see, you know, where the coaches are now and how they've sort of uh, made amends to that and to see, you know, the thread I had posted with uh, with Coach Jones's tweet and the graphic about the offensive line. I mean, it was a mess. Nobody knew what to expect, but you had relatively good health. Uh, you know, knock on wood, you've, you've, you know, he's identified talented players that are going to sign with Texas Tech. So that's a positive on the recruiting trail, excuse me, trail. And then you as an X's and O's guys, you know, you've praised what he's been able to do on the, yeah. on the field and conceptually working with Coach Jaluk to both improve the run game and the blocking schemes that they had. So I think there's a lot of things to build upon and a lot of things to look at. But, you know, my recruiting nerd brain, that's kind of where my head went. Uh, especially as we mentioned some of these names and look back at that 2015 class. I mean, um, yeah. to, to get uh, well, it, and and maybe uh, I'm I'm thinking they're wrong. I don't know, but Jashawn Johnson. People were penciling him in as back next year. I thought he was a senior. No, he's a junior. He's a junior. Okay, all right, I was wrong. Red redshirt, redshirt junior. Got it. Okay, so. well, even better. <laughs> um. Yeah, the thing about that offensive line is, is you look at all the guys starting on it, they're mostly guys that were recruited uh, 2015, 2016. Uh, you have one guy from 2017, Jack Anderson, who's starting on it, who, by the way, has had 
who should be. I, I, he probably won't end up being it, but, but uh, he should be a freshman All-American as an offensive lineman, and I have no doubt about that. But, uh, yeah, it, it's a group that I thought, while they were still pretty inconsistent at times, you got to remember there's there's four sophomore slash freshmen starting on it and one junior. So you, you had one upperclassman, and you were going to return all five of those starters. And out of your two deep, uh, or not even your two deep, but out of that room, this year, and I guess I didn't realize it, did you know they had 19 offensive linemen in that room every single day this year? No, uh, I did not. As far as that. With the transfers and everyone yeah, else, I with guess. With everyone else. Uh, and you only lose three of those guys because you're going to lose uh, Dwayne Johnson, Juwan Delaney, and it uh, looks like uh, Tony Morales are all going to graduate and leave. So you lose three, but you bring back 16 of those guys, plus the guys you're bringing from high school. So that's a that's a situation that, I mean, in three years, you fixed it as far as the depth and all that. Now you got to play – I think next year you're going to bring back all those starts, and, and they've got to take a next step forward and, and go from being, I think, a solid offensive line to a good offensive line, which I think they can do with the talent they've got. But – Again, it, I think it's a group that you're excited about, and I think it's proof that uh, when you look at that unit, uh, you, you kind of have fixed it for the next you know, two, three years at least. So you've done it there. I think at receiver, as long as you sign everybody you've got right now uh, that you think is going to get in, you've got that fixed. I think at running back, if you can bring in Devin Brumfield, I think you're going to feel like uh, you know if you bring in him and, and go out on the France that you're going to fix some of your depth there too. So... I think offensively you're fixing the depth. I think defensively, right now in the pipeline, you've got a bunch of guys on the defensive line, uh, old that are going to be, you know, sophomores, juniors, you know, next year. Uh, secondary, you've added a bunch to the pipeline. So that's the thing I think that you can get excited about is, I, I think there's certainly some things they need to get done in this class. But it seems to me like as far as depth goes and having quality players, you've kind of fixed a lot of it in the last year or two. Yeah, and and but that's why we always. I mean, we've said it on this podcast for years. It's why you always want to take, you know, a certain amount of kids per year. It's why you always want to have. If you're going to go after a JUCO guy, make sure you supplement that with a, a high school kid you believe in, or make sure that that's already on your roster. I mean, because I think what they've been able to do, you know, you look at Mike Thomas as well as as he's played. One of the 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 biggest things people forget is that. He's allowed guys to not only redshirt but get a completely another year of experience as a backup or in the weight room and guys that you haven't had to use. And if we just look at that from a 50,000-foot view, you know, Tech's not going to always get the four-star Rivals 250 defensive linemen. Those are just facts. And um, the the only way to do that is get quality guys that, that, you know, believe in what you do on defense that can fit that role. And I really say it over and over again for Gibbs – He's going to shuffle guys in and out. So while you may be a starter, you know you have to be ready to go. They're going to try to keep the D line fresh. They're going to rotate the DBs. So, you know, he's. I would say going into next season, he's got the players that he wants. These are all his guys. And I think any deficiencies that you'd seen in the past, you know, just were a result of that. And I mean, I go back. Heck, I look at if if I don't know if we're going to have time to do it or we'll just kick it to the next podcast. But you can go through. I mean, knock on wood. Tech has had such good luck with injuries this season, but you can Crazy point to luck, yeah. yeah, you can point to games like uh, Kansas State and say, man, if if uh, if uh, uh, Jordan Brooks plays that game, you know, we we tear him up, we stop him because you have that good of a duo at linebacker, and you just hadn't had been able to say some of that stuff in a, in a long time. I'm not going to touch the field goal stuff with a ten foot pole, um, but but you look at some of that stuff like hey. Gilmore left and, and, you know, other guys stepped up, but it, you know, it, it was a noticeable difference. Right. And then that's another guy that was able to stay in the program for almost a full two, two and a half years before actually beginning to contribute. And he, he completely changed his body, got bigger. And, so these things do happen. They're not just message board, you know, miss like right. these guys develop. And even, and even with losing him to his injury this year, you, uh, you know, you didn't have as much depth at defensive end as you would have liked. And, uh, you know, you obviously would have really liked to have him in the mix, but it didn't hurt you like it has in the past where you lose one guy like that and it's just kind of game over. I mean, I mean, you still played pretty well uh, on your defensive line even without him. So I think that's encouraging, not just for that unit, but I, I think for him next year when you bring him back, you know, you're excited about adding him to the mix because you feel like you get better on the defensive line. So, yeah, I, I just feel like you fixed a lot of these things and, uh, as long as you'll keep on track, I mean, as far as the roster goes, it's it's in as good a shape as it's been since, 
I would say at least that 2013 season, going into that 2013 season, or if not better, uh, I, I would say top to bottom, it's in better shape, wouldn't you? Well, no, I, th- I don't think that can be argued. And I think that over the next couple of months and even after signing day, you've seen that they're going to add guys like a Yance or they're going to add some other guys late as defensive prospects. And I think this year is interesting because we talked about the early signing period, but we've also talked about the amount of jobs that are open. I think, you know, we haven't even gotten to it. Um, maybe it's a good segue to, to look at the Juco guys that they're bringing in. And, you know, one of them is a direct result of the coaching carousel. And uh, you go back to last April when they offered Dorian Gerald, uh, who is who's out of the California area, uh, College of the Canyons, Juco. They offered him in April. I want to say, you know, we had that interview and then maybe over the next two to three weeks, he received another 10 to 12 offers from yep. – you know, fill in the blank college, he, he probably has it. So he had, uh, it's a perfect example. I think you look at his uh, offer sheet, you look at Easy Cam's offer sheet, you know, all those offers are there, 10 to 12 of them are there um, in the spring. You know, when you either don't commit or you commit to another program, a lot of that attention, a lot of that focus goes elsewhere. And, you know, everyone would like to say that, hey, we've got a spot for you still, but that's not realistic. And so, you know, you might look at, uh, Gerald's offer list now, and he's visiting Louisville and he's visiting Tech. We'll talk to him. We'll get more detail, but it may not look the same. That doesn't mean that at some point in time, the Alabama coaches didn't think he was, you know, worthy of an offer. Or in Easy Cam's case, that the A and M coaches didn't think he was worthy of an offer. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to look at that, and um, I think it's interesting that he'll be coming in. I'm, I'm eager to talk to him and get those details. But that just dropped today. We talked about Charles Cameron last week. Uh, all, although briefly, but we wrote a story about him. He'll be in this weekend. Um, and those are guys that, that you're trying to get to sign, guys that, that can come in early and help you impact the program. And I think you look at a guy like Gerald, uh, 6'3", 255. I mean, just someone that can come book in with uh, Eli Howard and whoever else is in the mix. Um, and, and, and that'll be, you know, that'll be great, right? I mean, you look at, even you had the update on Howard, just little things like that can completely alter, you know, the numbers that you're going to take, you know, the targets that you're going to go after. I mean, you get a full, you know, get another full year from him. And even in year one, I think you would say he's probably in your top list of newcomer of the year if you don't count Dakota Allen um, on your on your defense. And if in terms of the turnaround and what they've been able to do, he's been easily one of the most consistent players. So, um Anyway, I, I mean, I, I think that, uh, you know, nothing's done, nothing's set in stone in terms of who you can get, but they're, they're clearly going after immediate help on the D-line and more depth. And then I think behind that, what you'll see is some more high school targets and, and some guys that they add to the class from the high school level as well. Yeah, I, I think with, 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 like you said, with Gerald and, and Charles Cameron both visiting this weekend, I think you're seeing a continuation of uh, really what this staff has been doing over the last you know two classes where you take two juco guys to supplement uh i, I think your high school guys and you've got a couple high school guys committed uh and, and maybe that way those are high school guys I, I think specifically when you think of a guy maybe like john scott or jalen hutchings uh two high school guys that i think they feel good about but maybe two guys that haven't been recruited as much because maybe you just think they need to spend some time in your weight program and instead of playing you need to sit them and really let them grow for a while because I'll, I'll say this, you know, you can, you can criticize the staff for, uh, you know, why haven't they been landing, you know, higher caliber players, whatever. I don't think you can, you can really, you know, criticize specifically the defensive staff for their evaluations because it seems like to me, whether these kids are being highly recruited or not, the guys they've brought in the last two years can all play. I think anyway, from what I've seen. Yeah, I've been on the sideline twice, and uh, I'd heard this in uh, preseason interviews. And uh, after getting to know him, I'd, I'd heard this from him, you know, the the player himself. But even Yance, if you go back and and if if you're a fan listening to this, go back and listen to some of those sights and sounds. And and I'm just telling you from my experience on the sideline, he is in everyone's face before, during, and after the game, and he is like a motivational speaker of sorts, and he is like. Uh, it doesn't matter if he plays one or two snaps. That's just his level of energy and his M.O. And he said that that's what he's done for every team that he's been on from high school and to JUCO. And that's what he enjoys doing. So, I mean, I think those are the kind of guys you want on your team. And I think that's not 
it's not like the the end all be all, but it's a little nugget that maybe people don't know about him. I mean, I just think it helps your team. I think it helps, you know, constantly having that motivation, constantly having that juice, if you will, um, throughout your your team, both on offense and defense. And that's something I noticed about Yance. And I mean, that's the kind of offer and the kind of take where people are just kind of yawning late in January. They're like, okay, cool. I mean, we'll take it. Um, but yeah, I mean, to more to your point. You know, everyone they're given an opportunity. They they're earning it, and and they're making some good evaluations. So, um, I, I think that that's always been the knock or the negative thing when it comes to Gibbs is that he takes his time and he evaluates. But, I mean, I think with you know what we're the time of the year that we're in now, it's put up or shut up. So I think you're starting to see some of their top targets really surface, and you see some of their options that they have, and. Uh, we'll do a, a better job of getting those in front of you guys with a board and updating that pretty consistently. Um, but after they go and they meet with their commitments, you're going to start seeing them meeting with other kids. You're going to start seeing other offers. And um, they're they're definitely going to rekindle the fire with some of the kids that I had mentioned earlier with Cam Jones and, um, and, and Byron Hanspard II. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you're starting to see some staff changes. Excuse me. Yes, staff changes. Uh, obviously, the A&M. You know, that, that's going to change or has changed. Arkansas has changed. Arizona State's changed. Uh, we'll see what happens with all this Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy deal, too, because that's something worth watching. Because if that deal changes, you may kind of have open season on Oklahoma State's recruiting class. And I know there's a couple guys that you, as Tech, certainly would try to jump in on, I would guess. So, yeah, that, that's the most intriguing thing here is uh, with, with, you know, I guess we got about two months here till now, till, 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 till the major signing day. Uh, have about a month until the the, the initial signing day. So, yeah, g- going to be a lot of changes as there there probably always will be. It, not to the class necessarily, but but as far as uh, available targets and guys you're looking at, and uh, wonder if some guys jump jump off board, which guys aren't going to get in, all those kind of things. So, uh, yeah, I guess before we close out of here, Matt, just what are your kind of overall thoughts on uh, the class, where you're at, and where you need to go here as you kind of enter the home stretch? I think you definitely need to get. Uh, one or two more defensive backs in the mix from the high school level. I think between all the JUCO you did last year and some of the guys you're able to redshirt, I think you're in a good position there. But um, always a big believer in, in getting the guys from the high school level that you believe in. And, and I think I mentioned a couple of names there. Uh, we already talked about the defensive line. Um, but really, I mean, the only player you're looking at on the offensive side of the ball is Maurice Wren. And I've talked to a few people to where it's kind of the same thing we've talked about. You know, is the spot available? How are they going to work the numbers? Um, Ren has been pretty pro Texas Tech on on social media. And, you know, he and I are supposed to talk a little bit later. Um, So I'll I'll let you guys know as soon as possible. Um, But I think that we're going to learn a lot here over the next month. I I think predominantly, though, Ren is where they're going to look at um, on offense unless they just really have a JUCO receiver they like. Um, But I think that. I think you're going to be done uh, on offense aside from that one prospect. Then you look at defense and and you look at a number of players. I mean, you you just look at what we the example excuse me the example that we gave with uh, Dorian Gerald. You know, a guy that they were in on in April and things went completely quiet. And then now you're going to be hosting him on an official visit. Um, there's a lot of unknowns out there. I mean, I would say. I'm just like you guys. If Tennessee fires their coach, I'm looking at their recruitment list. If Madame Mullen leaves for Florida, I'm looking at Mississippi State's commitment list. If uh, someone's fired, I'm looking at A&M's commitment list. You know, luckily I cover A&M, so I can tell you guys, you know, honestly that they're not really in on any of those guys. Um, but what I say today on a Tuesday afternoon can drastically change in one week. Um, I would say maybe look out for Tyree Wilson out of the East Texas area, big six foot five athlete. Um, somebody who could grow into that Russian position, outside linebacker kind of joker role. Uh, but but above and beyond that, that's it. And so I would just keep an eye on some of that stuff, and, and we'll come through some older targets. But I definitely see more of an emphasis on the defensive side of the ball. And, um, you know, again, this podcast is, is free of charge for all the, uh, the tech fans listening. And that's for, you know, that's a, a result of our good friends, as we mentioned, at Hypnotic Donuts. But if you want to visit the website um, and come check out what Will and I are, are putting behind the paywall, you can definitely do that right now. We've had some good deals going on through Rivals. And, you know, we're always uh, open to extending deals to, to new subs. So tell your friends. Uh, check us out, and, and you'll get a lot more detail on, on a daily basis on the recruiting trail here moving forward. Yep, absolutely. You said it all well. So we will close on that note. So 
Once again, guys, this is the Victory Bells Podcast. I'm Will. He's Matt. Hope everyone has a great rest of your week and a great weekend heading into the holidays. See ya.